Sunday sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. In a series this summer um, where we've been talking about cultivating foundations in our life. And uh, kind of our whole goal has been to try to get to places of spiritual maturity as believers and, and to be able to answer questions of why we believe what we believe. And so we've gone through a lot of these things. And what you'll see is we, we've kind of used this scripture verse each week, 2 Corinthians eleven three is Paul speaking, and Paul we know to be bold and ferocious with the gospel message, and yet he uses these words, he said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And so it seemed to be what was driving Paul's heart wasn't the fact of the political nature and climate of the day. What was driving Paul's heart didn't seem to be the fact that the Roman Empire was in charge. What wasn't driving Paul's heart was that Christians were being persecuted and and many of them killed. What really drove Paul's heart, what got him to a place of fervency was that he wanted to make sure that believers weren't being deceived to believe something that wasn't Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is the same thing for us today. We can get wrapped up in things that just simply don't matter. Or we can get wrapped up in God's heart, which is to stay fervent for his word. Amen? And grow in maturity in Christ in our foundations. And so last week, uh, Pastor Ron brought an awesome word um, on one of the foundations uh, of believers is the idea of being the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. It's foundational as believers to know that you and I are called the body of Christ and we need one another. We need one another. It's a great word. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. Today, I wanna kind of jump and piggyback off of that because one of the core values that you'll see over and over in Scripture is the word love. And not just love for the body of Christ, but love for all of God's creation. Not just love for our brothers and sisters in Jesus, but love for everyone who was created in the image of God, which is everyone. Amen? And so what does it look like then, he's gonna use the words in scripture to love your neighbor. Today I wanna talk about what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. How do we value people the way that God places value on people? And this was really the the theme for VBS. Wanna make waves with the love of Jesus. So how do we make waves with the love of Jesus? Romans 12, nine says these words. Um, Paul's gonna give us uh, an idea of what Christian maturity looks like in Romans 12, and then he's gonna say these words. Love must be, somebody say must be. Must be be sincere. Here's how the NLT says it. I like what it says. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Can I just tell you, man, sometimes as believers, we're good pretenders. Like, oh, I love you so much. Not really, right? And so we, we've got some issues when it comes down to love. We're good at loving some people, but other people we put in a category of people I don't have to love. There's a problem with that. You won't see that in the Bible, okay? We are supposed to love those who are created in the image of God, which is all people. So um, there's this foundation of love you'll see over and over and over. And so we know in Christian life, Christian living doesn't just look like something. We're not trying to emulate something, we're trying to emulate someone, and that someone is Jesus. And there's no argument, you'll read it, that Jesus was a good guy, did great things. Where people divide is, we as believers believe he's the son of the living God, right? God stepped down. Where many people see him as, was he was just a good guy who lived and died. 
And that's where we break. But everybody's in the same boat of going, this guy, his name's Jesus. He lived and he loved people in extraordinary ways. And so as believers, we know Jesus to be the son of God. But here's the crazy thing about this. You're gonna read in scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's gonna tell us about love. And here's what he's gonna say about love. He's like, you could speak in a thousand languages. You could hear the language of angels. You could do miracles. You could do all of these fantastic things. It, you could look the part, but without love, you're just a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. In other words, you could be a rock star at what you think Christianity to be, following Jesus to be, but if it isn't rooted in sincere love, you're just a noisy gong, man. You're just a clanging symbol. And so there's something foundational about the love of Jesus that we need to have in our hearts, not just for the body of Christ, but for our neighbor, which we're gonna talk about here in just a moment. Um, I'm fascinated how much Jesus talks about this in scripture. He'll talk over and over and over about loving the outcast, loving the least of these, loving your enemies. And so I believe it's truly foundational. And Christianity that speaks the loudest, you wanna know Christianity that speaks the loudest? Christianity that speaks the loudest looks the most like Jesus. Not our version looks the most like Jesus, amen? And so this is why we need to love our neighbor. And so what we get to in the story of Luke chapter 10, verse 25, is a familiar story of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. How many of you guys have heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Right, we've talked a lot about it in church life. You've probably grown up with it quite a bit. I just wanna retell that story, and I wanna share some truths that I think that are in there. It's a familiar one. We all love the Good Samaritan, and uh, most of the time when we read it, we have this idea that what he's trying, Jesus is trying to tell us is that we're just supposed to be nice people. And I don't think that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is all about. When you read the Good Samaritan, I hope that you see there's something much deeper at work than just like, oh, be the Good Samaritan and be nice to other people. I think there's a lot of deeper heart issues that we read into when we read this story. It's deeper. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, what you'll see is that Jesus is confronted by a religious man of the law. So this guy is like a theologian. They call him like a lawyer, a lawyer of the law. He knows the law, the Old Testament law, maybe better than anyone else. And so he shows up, verse 25, it says, on one occasion, the expert, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the question that he's asking is actually a really good question. It's one that we've probably all asked in our life. It's a good question to know, like, what must I do to, to, to get e eternal life? What do I gotta do to, to get to heaven? What, what do I gotta do to get saved? But Jesus is gonna use this as a teaching moment. Instead of answering the question for the guy, Jesus is going to ask the man a question instead. You see, where the man wanted to trap Jesus, Jesus is about to trap the man, amen? And here's what he says. The question Jesus asked him is, what is written, verse 26, in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In other words, hey man, how do you read the law? Jesus is asking this guy. And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. But then in verse 29, we see something. It says, 
But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This is where the story really begins. So what happens is, is that Jesus is going, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You'll live. And Jesus knew what he was doing. The man in this moment is probably getting a little bit puffed up going, I do those things. That's me. You just described my life. And then all of a sudden, something begins to happen to his heart. He's smart. He knows, okay, Jesus is fishing here. What's going on? And so he asks the right question. And the right question is, who is my neighbor? You see, the core of the law in the Old Testament, this guy knew it. And the core of the law was to love God and love others. It's why Jesus down the road would say in Matthew 22 when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He would say the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he'll say these words. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like everything that you're gonna see that you're called to are gonna be filtered through the lens of these two things. Do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? In fact, Paul's gonna reiterate it in Galatians 5.14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many believe it's a big deal to the heart of God? It's a big deal to heart of God. This is why it's foundational in our life. What does love your neighbor then mean in our life? Um, let's just say this. If you've been bound by religion or you've been bound by law, you wanna know how you break free from religion and law? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And so what does that mean? What does loving your neighbor look like? The sum of what this religious leader, this, 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 this guy who was like a lawyer of the law, the sum of what he knew was simply this. If I can serve God, if I can, if I can desire God above all else, if I can be wholehearted to God and I can love my neighbor as myself, care for my neighbor as myself, if I can take care of their needs, then I'm good, right? And that's essentially what he was asking Jesus. And Jesus goes, do this and you will live. The problem was in this guy's heart, he needed to know who his neighbor was. And the reason this was a problem is simply this. He's asking Jesus the question, who do I need to love like I love me? Who do I need to love like I love me? And all of us in this room, we kind of like us, all right? Even if you're like, no, I don't like myself. You kind of like yourself, all right? Like we've, we, we kind of like ourselves. And so this guy's going, who do I need to love like I love me. Now here's the understanding we need to come to. In those days, especially for the religious leaders and the religious elite, their neighbor was their fellow Israelite. This is how they saw their neighbor. Their neighbor was their fellow Jewish man and woman. And so this is how they read it. You are to love and act in love towards your fellow Jewish man or woman, but you are under no obligation towards others outside of your nation, especially your enemies. So this is why this man is going, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna try to trap you again. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus says, if you remember in Matthew 5, verse 43, this is why they felt this way. He says, you've heard it said. So somewhere there was a teaching of the law or a teaching where he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what they grew up, let's say, hearing within their households. And Jesus kind of flipped the script, Amen. I'll tell you that here in just a minute. So this guy undoubtedly, this expert of the law undoubtedly felt that he had measured up to God's standard because he's like, man, I, I love God 
and I love my Jewish neighbors. I love my brothers and sisters that are Jewish neighbors. And so he was trying to see if he was justified. And so Jesus is like, I'm gonna tell you a story. And let's see if you really love your neighbor. I'm gonna tell you a story. In reply, Jesus said, there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and he went away leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he saw the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. So Jesus is telling a familiar story to some of these people. He's using an analogy, but he's using a real road. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles, and it was a very dangerous stretch of road. In fact, anybody walking on the road probably knew that they were gonna get camel jacked. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it was nicknamed the way, the way of blood. This is the, the nickname of the road was called the way of blood. It was a narrow road with lots of mountain peaks and boulders and places people could hide behind. And for 17 miles, it was a very dangerous road that, that a lot of people were robbed and beaten up in. So they named it the way of blood. I feel that way like 21st and May is trying to pull out of places. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's the way of blood, man. And so they, they understood what Jesus was talking about. Like this is a dangerous stretch of road. So they're locked into the story. Now Jesus uses three different characters. The first two he uses is a priest comes by. And so the priest should be the most likely to help this Jewish man. They're both Jews, so it's his brother, right? So they're both Jews and it's a representation. A priest is supposed to be the representative of God, a man of compassion. The priest like, would be the guy that just got out of, of service. He's just preached a, a riveting message of helping others. Surely if there was anybody that would do it, it would be this guy. And we read that the priest sees the man, it wasn't that he was blind to him, sees the man and, and essentially has to step over him to get around him to ignore him. Maybe he had a legitimate excuse, right? Been at the church all day, been helping people, need to get home to my family, I'm tired, whatever. The priest is probably thinking, I just can't stop right now and take care of this situation, whatever it is. And then you get a Levite. So everybody in the crowd's going, all right, the priest screwed up. Levite, Levite comes along. Levite, somebody who still works in the temple, they're like a worshiper in the temple, they assist the priest in various things, and we read the same story. The Levite sees the man, he took notice of him, and he has to work to get around the guy so they didn't have to help him out. So here's a Jewish brother laying in the middle of the road, beaten and bruised, both the priest and the Levite worked themselves around him. Both of them could have had legitimate excuses. Look, I've just given my time today, I've been at the orphanage all day, I've fed kids, I've helped people, I've put my time in, not my problem. So Jesus goes, okay, so you have the priest that goes by, you have the Levite, both of these are supposed to be the hands and feet of God. These are guys by profession that should be taking care of this person. In fact, priests and Levites were responsible for distributing handouts to the poor in Israel. So the fact that they were working around this guy is absolutely crazy. They would know that the Old Testament law would require them to help him with his suffering Help him where, and show mercy to this guy. So then Jesus brings up a third character, and the third character is a Samaritan. Everybody say Samaritan. So he says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, 
he took pity on him. Other two guys saw him, got away. This guy takes pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper. And he says these words, look after him and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have, occur have occurred. Which of these three, Jesus asked the, the, the religious leader, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now the moment that Jesus mentions the Samaritan, I can promise you the whole room, all the Jews in that room were going, oh, what are you saying right now? Because in that time, Samaritans and Jews hated one another. Not just disliked one another. Not just like, yeah, we can hang out. They hated one another. They thought that they were better than one another. They had different ways in which they believed they were supposed to worship God, different places. If you remember when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well, she says, you Jews say that you're supposed to worship God here. We Samaritans say that we're supposed to worship God here. So they had a discord for one another. Even Jesus' own disciples could not stand the Samaritans. How do I know that? Because one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is constantly trying to go into the, religion, uh, into the region of Samaria. Why? Because God's house is a big house. Amen? And he wants all his people. And so he's kind of going to Samaria. And so he tells his disciples, go ahead of me. Find me a place to stay and find a place to eat. So his disciples go into Samaria and they go into this town and they get rejected. They won't give them a place to sleep. They won't give them a place to eat. So they come back and James and John, sons of thunder, here's what they say in Luke 9:54. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked uh, Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Like they were super serious and they were really keen that Jesus would be like, yeah, bring the fire. They denied us a place to stay or whatever, right? And so they were super stoked that Jesus was gonna let them pray fire down and consume the place. And Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them, why? Because Jesus is about life, amen? So the Samaritan, what we see in the story, the Samaritan comes, he bandages this guy's wounds and he tears probably his own garments up for the strips and he anoints this guy with wine and oil. It's like a balm to take care of his wounds. He puts the injured man on his own donkey even though it means that now this man gets a ride and the Samaritan's gonna have to walk the rest of the journey. He brings the man to an inn. He spends the night to make sure that the man is taken care of. And then he gives the innkeeper uh, silver coins or denarii, which you know, might be a month's worth or a couple weeks worth of wages. It's enough for a few weeks to take care of this guy. And then he tells the innkeeper, just so you know, if more money is needed, I'll come back and pay for it. Who is this guy? Like why, what does he owe this guy who's been beaten down Why everybody else walked around? They, they don't even come from the same place. You got a Samaritan and a Jewish man. And then Jesus comes to the end of a story and he asks the expert that question, which of these was truly a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law so uh, hated the Samaritans, he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed mercy on him. Not even the Samaritan, just, hey, the, the, guy, the third one, you I can't say his name. The guy that, the third one, right? The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, 
go and do likewise. So, so what's, 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 the, what's the story all about? What's the main point of the story? Is, it, is the passage really about just go and be the nice guy? Is that what this whole story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan is all about? Because we read stories of people all the time, the good Samaritan, we use that language all the time. Like somebody walks grandma across the street and we're like, oh, they were just a good Samaritan, right? Or, or somebody takes care of, of this, or somebody does this, or somebody, whatever it is, and we use these stories of going, they were just being a, a, a good Samaritan. Is that really what the good Samaritan is, just being nice to people around you, or is there something deeper? I hope that you see there's something much deeper than just being nice. Because here's what it comes down to. If you remember, the religious leader of the law says that he wanted to justify himself and so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? This is what was really going on in this man's heart. He wanted an answer that was gonna be achievable to let him believe that he had met all of God's expectations. I don't need to love anybody outside of God and the people I do life with, that's it. He wanted an answer that was gonna make him feel like he had done everything that was expected of him and that if he just treated those that he did life with better and he was just nicer to them, then he was a rock star in the kingdom. Instead, Jesus sets a bar that was so high that he couldn't even attend it to it. Jesus sets a bar and he says, the man that, that, that loves the neighbor is willing to be inconvenienced, to risk his own safety, and to bear the cost for anyone who is in need, even his enemy. To finish that, Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but then he's gonna say, but I tell you, I'm gonna change this on you, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Look what he says. And not even the tax collectors are doing that. And they hated the tax collectors. He's like, even the tax collectors can love those they do life with. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Like, what's the separation between us and the world? If the world loves their own brother, like, he's like, what's the separate, what, what does the church look like if everybody else is doing that too? Do not even pay into that. And then he gives that, man, that statement that just seems impossible. Be, everybody say perfect. Anybody perfect in this room? Don't raise your hand. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is saying these words, no one's gonna reach this standard but me. He's got a religious leader in front of him who wants to know that he's been qualified, he's done all the work, and Jesus gives this word, and he's like, look, this standard of the good Samaritan, that's me. Listen to this church. Jesus makes the expert of the law not identify with the Samaritan who's gonna do something really good. He makes this expert religious leader of the law identify with the Israelite who's lying in the dirt bleeding. You're the one that's lying in the dirt bleeding. You're the one who needs help. And then he says, and this guy who owes you nothing this guy who owes you nothing, this guy that, that, that has no responsibility to take care of you, sees this guy who would be an enemy to you, and he comes and he shows compassion and mercy to you. 
It becomes a story then, not of you and I becoming the good Samaritan. It becomes a story of you and I understanding we're the one lying in the dirt, bleeding out, and Jesus comes with his compassion and mercy and picks us up off of the ground. Listen to why this is so important. It becomes a story that Jesus owed us nothing, and yet he took care of us anyways. It becomes a story that Jesus would sacrifice himself and give us mercy and grace. And then, once we understand that, now he'll say, go and do likewise. You see, the good Samaritan story, if we, we, we have this uh, problem sometimes in Christianity where we like to read ourselves into the story. You guys know what I'm saying? We talk about this all the time, like, I'm David. No, you're not, right? Um, or, or whatever, whoever it is, like, I'm Job, or whatever. Like, we like to become the main character. And so, of course, you read the Good Samaritan, and all of a sudden, like, I'm the Good Samaritan. Are you? Maybe you're the priest or the Levite walking around, dude, right? Or, or all of us, we're the ones bloodied and beaten and bruised, lying in the dirt. When everybody else walked around, the one who was rejected, the cornerstone who's rejected, picked us up. Listen to this, listen to this. Jesus is the good Samaritan because he gave up everything when he didn't have to. We're the one bloodied and and beaten in the street, lying there close to death, and yet he found us and redeemed us. And our hope for survival is simply because of the grace and mercy from the one who owes us nothing. Why, Why is this important? This story isn't about being nice. It's not about being a little bit nicer, be a good Samaritan. It's not about being nice. It's identifying with who Jesus is and what he did for us. And then when I understand who Jesus is and what he did for me, I will look at everybody as the one that's lying in the dirt, bloody and bruised, because I was there one day. And it's not just about my friends and those that I like and those I do like. It's about looking at my enemy going, I was once an enemy. It's about looking at somebody else going, I don't do life with them because they, they do this. And I'm going, I was once that didn't do these things. You see what I'm saying? It's like once we come to the understanding that Jesus is the good Samaritan, I'm the bloody dude on the street that he picked up. Now when I look at people out there, I'm gonna look at them through the same lens that he saw me. And it changes everything. Why, why is this important? Because when we see ourselves in in this way and what Jesus did with us, we'll start to read the story now through the lens of Christ. Who anoints you with oil in scripture? Jesus. Who washed you off in scripture? Jesus. Who was rejected in scripture? Jesus. And all of a sudden what we see is Jesus is the good Samaritan who washes the man, anoints him with oil, puts him on his donkey, walks beside him, and then listen to these words, and then takes him to the innkeeper. The innkeeper is the church and says, hey, I need you to take care of this guy, and look, whatever you do, what, here, here's what it's gonna cost, I'll take care, and when I come back, I'm entrusting this cat to you, and when I come back, I'm gonna reward you with whatever you else you need for taking care of him. And this is what scripture says, even when you give a cup of water, it's recorded in the book of life. Church, this is profound because all of a sudden the church becomes the innkeeper where Jesus is the good Samaritan and now we begin to see people through the lens of Christ and going, I have a responsibility not just to take care of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I have a responsibility to love those in the world with the love of Jesus. A sincere love, not pretend love, like yeah, yeah, I love my enemies, whatever. A sincere love the way that Jesus loved us. So Jesus is gonna bring people to us and our role then is to take care of them. Praise the Lord that he's the one who brings them, amen?
And once we get this, now, now I can love my neighbor. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but he's like, okay, here's the two commands. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. If you do this, like you're in. And I'm like, wow, well, that's really easy. But then when he starts to break it down, that love your neighbor is to love the one that I want to reject and love the one that I don't like and love the one that I see as my enemy, that brings a whole different thing into context, amen? So this right here, when I begin to understand how he sees me, I can begin to understand what it really looks like to love my neighbor. And so now Jesus will say those words, go and do likewise. And now I'm gonna do it, but listen, I'm not gonna do it just to get his approval. I'm not gonna do it so that I can mark my belt because I have a little fear and guilt when I come into church. I'm like, ugh, did I do something good Samaritan-ish today, right? Like, I, like sometimes we do, amen? Like we're keeping record, like if I do, Lord, did you see me help grandma cross the street? And so we're keeping record. I'm not doing it now because I'm like looking for somebody to give me like the pat on the back or I'm not looking for somebody to give me approval. I'm not looking for somebody to go, man, you really nailed it, good Samaritan day. Now I'm doing it because I was once the man lying in the dirt bloody and bruised. And Jesus saved me. And he redeemed me and he loved me when I didn't deserve it. And he showed mercy and grace to me when I did nothing for it. And the ones who could have taken care of me just simply walked around me. So this is why he says, let love be sincere. Once I understand what Jesus did for me, now I'll be willing to risk inconvenience. I'll be willing to risk safety. I'll be willing to risk a cost for what it's gonna take to love other people. Jesus says, when I return, I want, you, I want to find you serving the least of these. Isn't that what the word says? When I return, I wanna find you serving these. This, 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 is, this is scary when Matthew 25. Matthew 25, separating the sheep from the goats. And, and here's what he's gonna say. To the righteous, he's gonna say these words. Um, he's gonna say, you fed me, you clothed me, you gave me a drink. And they're gonna go, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and you invited us in or when when you needed clothes and we closed? When did we see you in prison and we went to go visit you? In other words, they're looking for something tangible. Lord, when did we see you in any of those situations? And Jesus says, I'm gonna say this. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. How you treated the man in the dirt, you did for me. How you loved those outside of these walls, you you did for me. How you loved your enemy, did it unto me. How you loved people that you don't do life with, did it unto me. Then he's gonna say on the other side, then on his left, those who did unrighteous things and did not take care of those in the desperate needs and situations, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They will say, Lord, they're gonna cry out too, man. Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes? When did we not help you? We were passionate, when did we not help you? And he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these. Listen, American church. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. The righteous didn't even realize that they were doing it unto Jesus because it was just a natural fruit that was coming out of their love for Christ. 
It wasn't like they had to work hard, like, oh, I've got to take care of the least of these. They were so transformed by the fact that Jesus found them in the dirt, it just flowed out of them. The more that you minister to the Lord, how do you do this? The more that you minister to the Lord, the more that you will pick up his heart for other people. If we truly understood this love of transformation like the Good Samaritan had, it changes everything. Real quick, let's close out with these three things. Uh, Julian was uh, uh, the, the last pagan Roman emperor. I read this quote. Um, basically, Julian was like the Caesar, the last pagan Roman emperor in 361. And he was recorded as saying that he was irritated by the spread of Christianity which was trying, he was trying, just constantly, he's trying to stamp it out, killing Christians, all those things. He was irritated by the spread of Christianity. Here's what was recorded that he said in history books. Do we not observe how the benevolence, the compassion of Christians to strangers has done the most to advance their cause? It is disgraceful that the Christians support not only their poor, but they also support our poor while everyone is able to see that our own people lack aid from us. So here's a Caesar that's trying to kill Christianity, beat it down, and here's what he's saying. This is from a pagan guy's viewpoint. What's spreading the gospel more than anything is that these Christians are not only taking care of their poor and compassionate for their poor and compassionate for those that are hurting in their land, but they're also compassionate for our poor. And our poor is going, you do nothing for us, but those Christians do everything for us. And he's like, this is why we'll never beat it. Not many years right after this, the Roman Empire will give the, their allegiance to essentially Christianity. So we know that love is driven by compassion. We've already said that. When the man saw the Jewish man, the Samaritan man saw the Jewish man, the one who's been rejected, Samaritan man, saw the Jewish man on the ground. It says he saw him and he had pity on him. Love is driven by compassion. We also know love is driven by being inconvenienced. I, I tell you, inconvenience is a Western mindset. Go to any other country, you're gonna stand in lines, amen? Just saying, you're gonna stand in lines. In America, we're like, ugh, I've been here for two minutes. Good night, amen? Somebody sends you a text message and the thread's longer than five lines, delete. Don't have time for you, man. Don't have time for you. You can't short text me, whatever. Like, we do not like being inconvenienced and yet here's the Samaritan going, I'm on a journey, I've gotta get somewhere. We know that because he had to leave the man with the innkeeper. He, he is on a bit, whatever he's on, business trip. He had to get somewhere. And yet he would go, oh, I'm gonna take time, I'm gonna take care of this guy, I'm gonna stay the night, I'm gonna pay the wages, I'll come back through, make sure that he's good to go. Look, taking care, loving other people is gonna inconvenience your life, but it's worth it. Scripture says, if somebody asks you to go a mile, what's he say? Go two. Jesus said, so you got your 99, awesome. Leave the 99, inconvenience yourself, go find the one. And then finally, we know that it's costly. It's inconvenient, love. Love is willing to be inconvenienced. Love is driven by compassion and love is costly. It's gonna cost you something. 
This is the difficult part for Christianity as well. We don't like that it costs us things. I was reading statistics on, you know, how Christians sometimes deal with costly things. Do you know um, the number one day that servers in America do not like? Sunday afternoons, when churches break out and everybody goes to their lunch spot. You wanna know why? Because Christians are notorious for being bad tippers. Isn't that crazy? That in a statistic book, it says servers can't stand Sunday afternoons because Christians are terrible tippers. You know what we like to do? We like to go into restaurants and be like, look, I'm not gonna give you a tip, but I got a word from the Lord for you. And like, can you partner your word from the Lord with a $100 bill? You know what I'm saying? It's like somehow like, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve, but I'm gonna give you a word from the Lord. And they're like, this is how we act and operate at times. And man, it's crazy. It's gonna cost us something, right, to love people. So, we'll close out. But here's the challenge for you, church. So we're building foundations. We're gonna love one another. Ryan brought a tremendous word on being the body of Christ, being unified, Jesus' prayer, John 17. God, make them one as we are one. Yes and amen to that, go listen to that. But my question to you today is, how do you love your neighbor? How do you love your neighbor? The guy who mows his yard crooked from yours, you're like, oh. The guy who does life different from you, the family that you would never mix it up with because just, you're just different. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love your neighbor that is an enemy? All of those things, church, are foundational for us as believers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Once Jesus opened this can of words, your neighbor just became, became everybody. I'm gonna say it again. Once Jesus opened up that can of worms, your neighbor just became everybody. Because you and I were once lying in the dirt, bloody and bruised. And Jesus came as the good Samaritan and had compassion on us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and just as we close out, I pray you would seal this on our hearts. We want to be men and women that love our neighbor as ourself. Teach us this deeper revelation and truth that we may build a right foundation in our heart to see people through the lens and the eyes of Jesus. We love you. We praise you. In your name, amen. All right, we came against the hour, 11 o'clock, busting to get in. Love you guys. Go have a great Sunday and tip wherever you go. Amen? Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.